0: Welcome into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the Mr. of color money himself. It's Fast Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude?
1: Not much of a hustler, but who am I here with <laughs> but the next Martin Scorsese? How's <laughs> movie making going, Oh, man.
0: We shot the short yesterday in Asbury That's Park, right. House of Independence. Um, just uh, I managed to put together a a, a crew that came out. Um, if you've, uh, we got the band, uh, the spins to play the younger band in the project nice. there, are, uh, th- you know, I didn't realize this cause I've been out of North Jersey, Sussex County for a long time. Apparently there's like a scene developing up there, I, I guess like the Warwick m- m- Mountain Creek thing. There's like a bunch of, uh, bands coming out there. So that's kind of interesting, but they were great. Then we had uh, playing the female, uh, slightly older lead. We had uh, Rachel Anna Dobkin from uh, Asbury Park. Nice. And then a uh, um, actor by the name of uh, Steve Cavanaugh. Um, he a good he, name. He had a uh, he sure. had a bit part in The Wolf of Wall Street back in okay. the day. Um, but I know him because he lives in town here, and uh, him, uh, his fiance and I used to work together at Sirius XM. So, oh, great nice. cast, great crew, um, and shout out, by the way, Benny would never take credit for this, Benny introduced me to the guy who helped me get the guy who helped me get the guy that became my director of photography, this guy's name, Greg Tango. So, shout out to everybody involved.
1: Good, good. Listen, I made fun of my manager <laughs> the other day by
0: writing a text,
1: and he says, it's all about the Rolodex, isn't it? <laughs> I said, sure is, Benny. You know? <laughs> It's it's what you get. It's the one lesson I have is is don't burn your bridges. Oh
0: no man. I treated everybody to Panera yesterday. They got the soup, the salad. (laughs) (laughs) Listen,
1: that's pretty good for craft services. I've I've shown up to some some pretty junky stuff before. That's a little Panera, not bad. Get yourself a bread bowl in between takes. Well, Danny, I'm happy for you and I'm glad you made it in Asbury. Uh, yeah. With and you know somebody from Asbury, I think you're keeping it Jersey and local and authentic, which can never hurt the final product. I can't wait to see it.
0: Yeah, man. Hopefully uh Montclair Montclair Film Festival. So, but uh, yeah, we'll man. Come out and represent. I just want to wear one of
1: those Dumb and Dumber tuxedos <laughs> if, you, if you win something.
0: I love it. But uh, you brought up the manager thing, and, and I'm super curious. At what point did Gaslight get a manager? Cause I feel like people don't really like talk about it. Like you go from like playing like the court tavern and stuff like that to manager or how's that work?
1: Yeah, essentially. I mean, we, we had a couple people who jumped fairly early on before we had too much going on. So credit to them for, you know, getting to us early. But I think I, I would often advise, you know, sometimes I hear from bands or talk to bands with managers but I'm kind of like, Well, why do you have a manager? Mm. You know, why are you even paying someone, literally paying someone a percentage of money you're not making yet, handling things that you could take care of yourself? So I do think uh, it's in most people's best interest, especially in a band scenario, to essentially do it all yourself until you can't do it yourself anymore. And when the two things start really colliding and you need that help, that's the time to get a manager. And well, hopefully for you, you have some people sniffing around by then. I mean, that's, the, <laughs> that's also the other caveat, which is uh, borderline impossible sometimes. So that one I don't have an answer for. If no one's interested in your band, I don't know what to do.
0: Well, you know what? Segment always has someone sniffing around. Usually this it's day? me. Yeah, it's the day Music mystery? History.
1: <laughs> no! Stop it. do, 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 do. do call my eye. it was a slow a slow business day and i thought i had already covered at some point in the last couple of years bruce springsteen jumping the fence at graceland to go meet elvis i think we've covered that before yeah. so i saw that rage against the machine in 2007 played coachella it was their first show in seven years and one of the things you know as this, i you got to know preface it Huge raise Against the Machine fan of as a course. kid uh, until now. And I think about them often in the context of uh, how a band who is so overtly political uh, got to some level of the mainstream, you know, stayed there for a long time. Whenever they pop up, they pop up in these huge forums where pe- still a million people want to see them. And they kind of bridged like that that secret sauce thing that a lot of people uh, try to bridge. Like I remember early on Rage Against the Machine taking shit for being on a major label, you know, where it's like, oh, how can you talk about these war machines and this stuff when your major label is tied to the war machine? And like philosophically, that is actually like a hundred percent true. And I'm sure they knew that because They're very smart people who always approach this in a good way. But then the other day, uh, someone texted me about their young son seeing the Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction art, you know, with the four skulls and was like, oh, it's like four of these. I was like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. It's funny when you expose your kids to random shit like that. And then I was like, wait, when I was like 12... The two posters in my room, maybe 11 or 12, the two giant posters in my room at that time were that poster with burning skeleton faces. And right next to it, a six foot tall Rage Against the Machine poster uh, with a burning monk on it. You know, and like I grew up with that image, you know, like I literally like that's the before phones this is before i found drugs before i found all the things to divert my attention when i would sit in the at night staring into the middle distance this was like the prime of it so i probably stared at that poster so much you know and stared at this image of this person self-immolating and you know as the years go on you know i learned that like it's a a vietnamese buddhist monk who was protesting like the South Vietnamese government who is oppressing Buddhists at the time. And but, you know, you even clicks in your head at 12 years old that there's someone willing to do that for something. And it kind of changes like some level of perspective you have on humanity and the world. And like, what were people doing to this guy that he was literally willing to set himself on fire? What an image to put there. And then I'm like, that is the reason Rage Against the Machine had to be on a major label. I was 12. I wasn't going. I, I bought this fucking poster probably at the mall. You know, like this was a major league. They were on MTV. They had this was big stuff. I probably bought it at like one of those one of those old record stores at the mall. And, and I never would have seen it. And I never would have known. I wouldn't have known who you know, Leonard Peltier was, and and at some point, Mumia Abu-Jamal, like, I was introduced to all these things, like, via Rage Against the Machine, and probably the fact that they decided to sign to a major label (laughs) to some degree. So, all that being said, in this day of music history, that was my thought about Rage Against (laughs) the Machine playing Coachella in 07, and now they're doing a string of shows, uh, in like Poland and Croatia, you know, like very intentionally close to the conflict and they're still as relevant as ever. And it's it's really a master class, particularly by Zach de la Roca on like how to get to a certain point to present yourself and then just present yourself in a way that keeps it authentic the entire time. That guy's never done anything to make you question what he believes or what he thinks. And it's truly a masterclass and like, uh,
0: in in this style of presentation, you know? Yeah. That's super interesting what you said there, because, you know, you think like a a band that's been around forever, is not going to keep trying to reinvent the wheel? But like, Reinvent the wheel by doing like sticking true to who they are, if that makes any sense whatsoever, and it's like sometimes you need a little bit of that muscle and and the backing behind you to really stick up for what you believe in it's it, it's super in- the the interchange between art and commerce and a lot of this is one of the most interesting parts that that I think we discuss here all the time
1: yeah, I mean as we end all the great painters we know had to you know, suck the dicks of kings and queens, too. Like, it's <laughs> it's it's always been a part of it. And like my mom used to say, sometimes you got to play the game, you know?
0: <laughs> I got your next album title. Sucking the dicks, of, Sucking kings the dicks and queens, of kings and queens, but in Latin, so it's fancy. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Benny, on this day in 1998, Steven Tyler broke his knee at a concert in Anchorage, Alaska, delaying the Aerosmith's Nine Lives Tour and... and uh, Necessitating camera angle adjustments for the filming of the I don't want to miss a thing video. So, oh. at, yeah, a, a, uh, now, I, I bring this up because, you know, I, I touched on the making of, of the movie that I did yesterday. And, mm-hmm. dude, I know you know a bunch about this. Fucking production insurance and all <laughs> of that shit, I... Th- I broke out into a cold sweat reading that for whoever was creating like the video and like the concert, and it's like, I hope they had a nice deductible.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's scary stuff once you start opening those doors, right? <laughs> I didn't love you it. You should see the kind of liability we take on every time we enter a venue.
0: That's so crazy. It's terrifying. It's terrifying.
1: <laughs> if someone breaks their leg, it could all be over for you. <laughs>
0: All right, well, first headline today, Benny, let's get right into it. Benny, we've been talking about this since, well, I've been talking about this since before we started the tune-up, but we brought it on onto this show, talking about Top Gun Maverick, and we're starting to get a little bit more details about what this is going to be, and arguably one of the most important parts of a Top Gun movie is the music, and we finally have an answer for who's going to provide at least one of the songs. Lady Gaga has announced that Hold My Hand will be a new song, and he Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick movie. Uh, the single comes out on May 3rd. It's produced by Gaga and Blood Pop uh, and, and with additional production from uh, Benjamin Rice um, and additional additional production, which you can explain that to me. I don't know what additional additional production <laughs> is, but it sounds like the secret secret. Um, by a, a little Hans Zimmer action in here. Oh, so ooh, um, okay. Hans Zimmer involved in the first one. There were some strings on it yeah. or something? Yeah, but... Uh, Here's my take on this, right? Yeah. I love Lady Gaga. We love her, right? This is Righteous Big Brothers fans. and Kenny Loggins' territory. Lady Gaga, we love you, but not here.
1: I disagree. Okay. <laughs> Lady Gaga is a pop star. Mm-hmm. As like legitimate as I think she is, she is a born, tried-and-true, self-professed pop-fucking star. Okay, and at some point, you need a movie soundtrack pop fucking start. She needs her Whitney Houston, she needs her Madonna, she needs that song connected to like a major movie. And this is Top Gun. I know you're saying Kenny Loggins in a bad way. (laughs) Danger Zone. I love that kick-ass song. song, I love that song. Come on.
0: Wait. 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 I'm flying to the danger zone. Hold All on. Day long. Where do you think my hate from Kenny Loggins go? I have defended it. Go back through the <laughs> archives. I have defended Kenny Loggins on pro this podcast. Bro Loggins,
1: <laughs> pro, pro Loggins. Um, So I'm actually I'm here for it. I even saw. Did you see the art of oh. Lady Gaga and the yeah. Top Gun logo and just oh come on. Oh. Here's here's my one problem with it. Yeah. Okay. Her talking about the song scared me a little. Yeah. It was a either. beautiful sentence sentiment you know she talked about like literally like putting a message out that like unifies the world and people and as much as i love the sentiment i'm hearing i mean talk about promising a title to a city you know (laughs) like this is a fucking high standards for a song and like in like a bill and ted sort of way she's 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 presenting it as a song to change it all kind of song And I hope it is shit. I mean, if Lady Gaga puts something into the ether that unites the world, I'm here for it a hundred times over. But it's a tall order, kid. Tall order.
0: I'm going to guarantee this right now. This song does not have the same impact. That you've lost that love and feeling. It can't. It can't. We're still talking about that scene with Meg Ryan all of these years later. Do you think we're gonna be talking about what was it? Hold your hand. Hold my hand. Thirty years later. I don't think so. I don't know. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I'm. I'm not
1: gonna. I'm not. I'm not uh, betting against. It's like. It's like how I don't bet
0: against LeBron. You know, getting. <laughs> you know,
1: like just I don't bet against her until I hear
0: it. You know. I. You know. The funny thing happens, sometimes we put the topics out and sometimes I, I get in the moment and I'm just making guarantees betting against Lady Gaga. What have I done? What have you done? On <laughs> wax. All right, well let's move on. Um Boy, we're just talking about the intersection of movies and, and, and popular culture today. Benny, we are getting a Kate Hudson album. Uh, you know, she's uh, obviously the almost famous star, uh, and she's done a lot of singing during her TV appearances and a bunch of different things on, like, social media. Benny, I like when we see people try to take a swing for things, but listen, with this, if it is not an Americana album called Stillwater... There's no point of this existing. (laughs) It's all happening. It's all happening. Um, Yeah, well, here's trick number
1: one to Kate Hudson. Never make noise about your group until you have music made. You know what I mean? It's the classic mistake. Like, I get into, you hear your voice. It sounds nice. You're, like, feeling yourself. You're, like, yo, I'm making a record. Making a record is hard. You know, and it's got like a lot of elements and a lot of steps along the way that could shake your confidence and make you not finish a record. So, like, my one suggestion to Kate, as someone who's finished many albums, is yeah, you, know, you gotta go, slow it down, <laughs> especially when you got this kind of a uh, profile. You know, maybe start with a single, get some tunes out there <laughs> before you make that kind of noise. Um, but I don't know. It's like, maybe it's fine. Maybe she's great. Maybe she has a nice voice. I, I, I seriously like, how could I project how Kate Hudson's (laughs) album is going to be, but you know, more often than not, these go the way of, uh, you know, the bacon brothers or dog star or, um, what was, uh, Jeremy Renner, you know, what are the female versions of people trying to cross over that doesn't usually go well. So, Zoe Deschanel, you know, like there, there's like there's not like a stay in your lane. I want everybody to do what they want creatively, but like you know, let's keep our expectations low on this one.
0: The upside of this, the 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 highest possible ceiling. You know, we always talk about like low ceiling, high floor, and, and vice versa. The the absolute ceiling for this is that it's the female version of the Return of Bruno. Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> Little Bruce Willis action. So. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> All right, next headline, Benny. We're going to get a, a, a little wild here. Scandalous. Eh? Punt intended. Um, so. Every year, the film uh, industry has this giant summit in Las Vegas where essentially the theaters come out and they're like, hey, we want to put your movie in the theater. They present it kind of like for like ads for TV. They have those upfronts. This is that for the movies. So Olivia Wilde has a new movie coming out. It's got Harry Styles in it. It's got Florence Pugh. It's called Don't Worry, Darling, which if if, if, uh, you're writing songs and you're Benny Horowitz, that's like, okay, that's a it's a little close to home. It sounds uh, it's a little it's a little on the brand. Um, anyway, back on track here. So on Tuesday, she's doing the pitch at this meeting, and somebody comes up and throws a yellow encrypted envelope at her feet, and it turns out that it is divorce papers from Jason Sadekis. Now, this is just a whole mess here. Harry Styles is in this movie, apparently an affair between Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles. While she was married to Jason Sudeikis, happened during filming this movie, so uh, very apropos stuff. But Benny, I wanted to, uh, I, I want to share because I know that this is all all gossip from what I've laid out here. But there, the interaction has Olivia Wilde after this happening ask, "This is for me, right?" And then it said, "Oh, it's marked personal and confidential." She's like very mysterious. I'm going to open it now, and she and then. While she's like reading it and processing it, totally stone cold face. She's like, Is this a script? Okay, got it. Thank you. That's fucking that's fucking crazy. To to assume that just because someone's giving you an envelope and you're Olivia Wilde, you think it's a script. But it's just wild behavior. But Benny, I gotta ask you. You've been around a lot of venues, a lot of large events in your day. Let's talk security breaches.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, that I mean, that's the thing that stands out about this story. Like the fact that she was served, I think it was child custody. It wasn't divorce. It was like child Child custody. custody, Some some I mean, it could have been like uh, run of the mill stuff that she even knew was going down. Like when you have a divorce, you in paper contractually figure out what you are responsible for for your children Mm -hmm. and what will put you in jail (laughs) like this is some basic boilerplate shit if someone sent it to fuck with her in a public place or not how could i know if we prove that it certainly diminishes uh the ted lasso way Mm. but i'm not willing to say that that's the case we're team jason Um, (laughs) so the thing i think that stood out to me in this story is the fact that the person who served the papers was credentialed so they had actually gone through the proper channels to get credentials for this event to serve papers. That is an extra level of dubious because it, at the very least, it took a fairly elaborate ruse on the phone to do. Like at the least. You can't do that in person. So someone had to know they were doing this, know she was there, either use, you know, a you know, a a journalism credential they already had or a name they knew and lied their way into credentials for this event. Then on top of it, you you typically wouldn't get mail these. you probably go meet someone at a little table or something to say, I'm this person, and they go, here are your credentials. This is usually how it happens. So uh, whoever did this, it was definitely like an extra level of – it was dubious. (laughs) It was definitely dubious. And I did see something like this happen once. So we played uh, the Made in America Festival in Philadelphia, which is a strange event to begin with. And, um, you know, because of the nature of the event, there was like, you know, uh, uh, metal detectors to get backstage and things like that, which, which, you know, we hadn't dealt with before. And, you know, some fairly like strange credential situation going on. My wife was there. I believe a small child or pregnant or something and uh goes into the hotel to check us into the room we're staying for the night and sees a bunch of people who do not look like Gaslight Anthem crew with little credentials that say Gaslight Anthem on them, like little passes, all wearing them, like five dudes. I'm talking some, some big guys like z- some people who were not in Gaslit Anthem's crew and my wife, you know, which she shouldn't have done w- started asking a little, was like, Hey, where'd you guys get those Are you with the band or something? And one of them was like, yeah, yeah, yeah like I'm with the band. And she was like, okay, I'm not going to ask any more questions. So like, you know, this happens, I think. And they, you know, what happened there is somebody got an advance of the design of the image of the credential chose a band at random that was on it and made their own set and it's probably pretty easy to do you know so that was the most obvious example of like you know people trying to do it and succeeding in doing it cuz if they showed up to the event with those passes like sure you just shouldn't wear them out at the hotel for someone's wife to see cuz i think that blew their whole operation um then another time the the one other thing that pops up in my head just cuz it was one of the more badass things i saw was Played some festivals with Slipknot Mm. and by all accounts, good group, like, like good group of guys, like, you know, no, no uh, bad reputation coming out of that camp. But uh, I saw a very drunk, what I believe to be uh, a kid in who is probably in an opening, opening, opening band on the festival, like, like they played the tent at Mm. like 1230 and somehow meandered their way to the main stage backstage and started sniffing around Slipknot's dressing room. And I was hanging out with another band and I saw this guy sort of stumble towards it, get close. He got a talking to, he got reprimanded. He went away for a minute. Then they started trying to bring the band out and here he comes again. And me and this other band were in the hall. We're like, Oh no. Oh God. He's coming again. What are they going to do? And we see, The most calm, gigantic, scary man literally just take a giant hand, hold this young person by the neck and carry them about 10 feet with one hand backwards (laughs) and just calmly place them down, (laughs) literally like a giant handling a mushroom or something, you know, and just place them down and, and meander them on their way. So... Uh, When it comes to stuff like that, I guess there's two ways to try to get in, you know, the first way where you, um, uh, you know, try to scam backstage passes or you try to get past people like that, which bad move.
0: Let me tell you, it's the same thing in sports media because I, I I have a couple super embarrassing stories there, so I wandered into the wrong the wrong section. <laughs> I was covering a Red Bull game. I was covering a Red Bull game here in in Harrison. It's some like n- nothing game. They're playing like like Seattle or something like that. I make a a wrong turn I'm walking along the field, which is very common sometimes to get your seat, sure, right. Sure. Um, and, and I was coming from like the press room. I was doing like pregame stuff. So I'm walking a- a- along the-, the sideline, and I think that there's going to be a way to go in. Nope. Walk right in front of the Red Bull bench during the game. And the craziest thing, and I probably shouldn't be putting this on wax no security. I just walked right up to my seat. Nobody <laughs> okay. bothered me. Jesse Marsh. Now the coach over in, uh, at Leeds uh-huh. just looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing? The team looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing? And I just, <laughs> hey, listen, the key, if you're ever in a situation like that, just act like you're supposed to be there. That's it. Just act like you're supposed yeah. to be there.
1: As, as one of the great quotes from Michael Keaton in a film, The Paper, The confident wave and a clipboard will get you into 90% of the rooms in America. It's true. It's true. It's I've all, never had the confident wave or the clipboard. I'm always like, ah, "Am I allowed in?" It, and then I'm
0: never allowed in. Benny, I am. I. It is so easy to make a, a fake credential. NBA a, a, a little harder, but in, in certain markets, it, it works. Like Milwaukee, oh, it dude. used to work. Um, college basketball, you can do anything you want. You can could- <laughs> <had> fake
1: state <laughs> inspection
0: stickers. <laughs>
1: Like, <laughs> if I can get into the building, you wanted to for sure.
0: Oh man, oh man, that's not our bag. We do not condone that behavior. It's uh it's experience. Got me through
1: a tour. Yeah, got me through a tour. <laughs>
0: it's it, it's experiences uh, lived as as a young journalist trying to make that's it. That's right. That's right. All right. So let's get into the hoop side of things here, Benny. And it's been a crazy week. We've seen an MVP get eliminated um by the golden state warriors also golden state warriors super back we'll get to that in in a sec Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we saw the bucks have an injury we'll get to that in a sec but benny we should start here because i feel like we owe it to the audience um even people that aren't aren't sports fans (laughs) that listen to this podcast have been like dming me about the nets um (laughs) so benny we you know the Unfortunately, the Nets season ended at the hand of the Boston Celtics in a four-game sweep. Unfortunate situation seeing uh, KD struggle this series. Um, Exit interview here. What are your thoughts when it happened? And then what are your thoughts on the season now? All right. So, firstly,
1: anybody who listens to this show will know that right when they made the James Harden trade, I did declare... I half believe the Nets are punting on this season. I thought that they knew some of the teams in the East were too tough. The roster they put together was too weird. Joe Harris was not going to come back. I think they, you know, towards the end of the year, maybe they did believe Ben Simmons was going to come back, but they knew it was a question mark and they weren't sure. And making that kind of change that late in the year, I thought they knew this wasn't the title season. I don't think they knew they were going to get swept in the first round. I think they thought somewhere in the middle, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like like maybe a second round out is probably what yeah. they really thought. So I do think the the players on the team and the coaches and the top brass are disappointed in that. I don't think this is exactly what they expected. But you watch this series not for very long, and it became pretty obvious the uh, these holes that they had were just far too glaring and they ran into the wrong team at the wrong time. I think there's a couple things in play here. Um Hey, we ran into like
0: the hottest, uh, team in the
1: NBA. <laughs> a, a, an all time great yeah. defense. You know what I mean? This is turning into one of those, like maybe let's not say it until they run the table or something, but the type of numbers they've put up since, you know, the new year uh and, and until now, are so far and away the best defensive numbers in the league they're outpacing everyone by a mile and they had this great game plan for durant everybody up and down just chipped at him worked them down and they made a superstar look vulnerable it's going to make him look vulnerable all off season but i think it has a lot more to do with boston than it does kevin durant and you know you're looking at this series where Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are at the one and the two the, almost the entire time. And at any point for the Nets, you're running Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Bruce Brown, any number of these guys. Brown, maybe I'll take even out of that list. Um, you know, any number of these, and Drogic, any number of these guys in the one and two hole. And, and we just, like, could not compete physically. We We just had old little guys against... <laughs> <laughs> fucking young in their prime beefy men <laughs> like when you were just watching like Drogic try to put a body on Jalen Brown and no, stuff it know. just it got sad <laughs> so but the one thing I'm interested in this buck series will tell us uh is sometimes you don't know a team is here until something like this happens either yeah and I think by the end of this series you're like you have the defensive player of the year who's now your point guard and doing a very adequate job at such. Jalen Brown is healthy. Jason Tatum is proving himself as one of the best two way players in the league. And I'll go ahead and put him in like, just to be safe, like top eight, but you could start making the argument. He's into like seven, six, you know, you can start bumping some people. Uh, and then you have this really well put together, uh, defense with, with a slew of different, uh, active big men. So it's a really interesting team. And I think, like I said, the Nets got exposed in a way. I don't think they were anticipating getting exposed, but I think uh, the front office and Kyrie Irving are going to take the, the the bulk of that heat going into the off season. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing I wanted to talk to you about, Denny. Mm-hmm. And this is, as you know, I've, uh, As these series go on, I spend a lot of time doing this. I go like this. (sighs) Zen. Mm. What happened? You know? What happened? You know me. You text me while these (laughs) games are going on. I don't get too hyped up. But I do think about it a lot. And when I was pondering this series and its glory and non-glory, something occurred to me. Do you remember that photo of young Jason Tatum at the AAU camp with Kevin Durant? Yeah, I that really nice, friendly moment between young player and older player. And, and it's KD. He's approachable. He's the player's player. You know, he, he's like the guy you could talk to. Uh, he gives people love. He talks to his opponents. He props up the ones he likes on podcasts. He tells them how nice their game is. If you see him around, you know, he'll be friendly like like that's KD. He has this, you know, uh sort of raw, vulnerable social media presence. He's a little acrimonious with. um, Maybe like NBA media and pundits and stuff like that. But as far as players and the league goes, he's like Mr. Cool guy, you know, Mm -hmm. that's his vibe and I like it. And and I'm not going to say that it it can't work in this NBA. Steph Curry is an example of, you know, a true vanilla ass diplomat winning a bunch of rings like Mm -hmm. it is possible. But here's my question. Did MJ do that? Oh, here we go. Did Kobe <laughs> do that? And here's what I wonder, right? When you played Michael Jordan, players thought to themselves like, does this guy hate me? Does he like me at all? Do I have any ounce of respect out of this guy like at all? And and as you're going through a series, even before a series, like I wonder psychologically what that can do to chip you, what, where you're like trying to prove yourself a little more where in that spot, you're just like a little back down. Like, like there's this psychological element to it that those players employed that made a lot of people hate him. And I'm not saying that's the way. Okay. But I'm saying in this particular case, I watched Jason Tatum, a young budding superstar in the league, Go at Kevin Durant, full fucking steam, no fear, and win. Just plainly won. This is what the NBA is all about, and players like Kevin Durant talk about. One-on-one, mano mano This is like Kevin Durant versus Jason Tatum. I got you. I, there's no one in the league I can't score on. That's That's his vibe. And this guy came after him, boy. Like this younger, more jacked model. You know, with this great team around them with no fear that Boston literally played their way to Brooklyn to get Brooklyn to be like, we don't give a shit. Why are you trying to play out? We want this team. I don't care. And they never cared. And I have to just wonder, to a small degree, if that assassin piece of shit mentality that some other players employed in the past would have changed that landscape at all
0: see i think i think there's a couple things i think number one remember a couple years ago we were kind of writing off jason tatum because jason tatum was the nice guy jason tatum was trying to follow that like kevin durant whole thing going on Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. he's also in in a city like boston where people start to question you and that gets under your skin you start working harder And everything like that. And you you eventually, and then you see a guy like Giannis take his jump, and you're like, oh, maybe that's the way. Like Kevin Durant's good, but then you can also be like, he hasn't done anything since he left Golden State. And then you also kind of factor in the pride part of be like, hey, I'm the best player here because in order to be great, you have to think that at anything, mm. especially mm-hmm. in sports where you're going at somebody. So I think you combine all of those factors and it's almost like, you know, not, not to bring up the color of, of, of money again, but, uh, you know, I, I know. Right. But like Tom Cruise in, in, the beginning of that is like, this like nice guy. Right. And then uh-huh. he gets uh-huh. a couple bumps along the way and he's like a stone cold assassin at the end. That's what's happened with Jason Tatum.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. How much does the Olympic team have to do with it?
0: Oh, then, then exactly, he, he got to see Kevin Durant's game. See, mm-hmm. if I'm these guys, I go there... But you keep your, like, secret notebook. You don't go showing people your diary at Team USA camp. You save that for the playoffs. And I think Kevin Durant being a little bit too vulnerable here. And I'm not trying to shit on Kevin Durant. I no. think that's a very no. nice thing to do. He's, he's, he's had a respected career and stuff like that. I just think if he had a couple of things to do differently, maybe keeping your cards a little closer to the vest is what he should have done.
1: Listen, Kevin Durant's all heart. He tells you everything. That's his vibe. I respect Kevin Durant for that, and I'm not telling him to change. I just think perhaps in this one instance, they
0: bit him in the ass. Also, the other thing... If you look at the beginning of Kevin Durant's career, this guy comes into the league, nobody has that kind of length. Now, it's like the common thing. You like like your Giannis has come in, Tatum. So, every team kind of has a a version of that and the weight programs are now designed to um because like what was the big knock against Kevin Durant in the beginning of his career? It's like, "Oh, this guy needs needs to bulk up." And he's still kind kind of skinny. So, I think he's a Slim Reaper. Yeah. Slim Reaper. So, I think Tatum took a bunch of like, "Oh, there's like guys like Giannis and Draymond and and like Steph that are like getting like jacked to be like I got to do that. It's almost like remember when Tiger took the like the I've got to just start training like a marine and he yeah, won yeah. everything. It's yeah. like at, at some point you get to like the I'm pretty good, but I'm starting to be written off and I want to take that next step and you got to invest in your body, you got to invest in your game and Tatum's yep. done all that and it's paying off.
1: Yeah, it's the jump everybody yeah. wants to see, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> All right, so you brought up my Bucks and you brought up this, this Celtics series, and I think that this is going to be a fascinating series. The Bucks are going to be without Chris Middleton probably the entire series. Uh, Shams reported that on Thursday morning. So it's going to be interesting to see how one of the hottest teams in the NBA goes up against a, the defending champs here. One matchup I'm looking at here in particular, and I'm not exactly sure who Mike holder 6 drew Holiday on, I think it's got to be Jason Tatum. I think that could be a fascinating watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: it's interesting to think because when I'm going matchup for matchup here with this series, Boston has a lot of advantages across the board. But Bucks have the ultimate trump card of anything, which is a player who can do whatever he wants at any time. And I don't think... The Celtics have an answer. For that. I don't think anyone has an answer for that. You're not going to, you're certainly not going to body uh, Giannis like you were doing Durant in that series. You can't trail him around like because Giannis will blow by you and then you have a dunk in no time. Um, they were still a little banged up. Robert Williams is just getting back. So, you know, Boston is susceptible there, but then you take Chris Middleton out of the picture and I'm starting to see this Boston defense I just saw really, really rough up some, some fantastic offensive players. And you're telling me you're going to throw this mishmash of minutes out there of Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Wes Matthews. Um, I know Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton can get hot, but Connaughton in particular, these are spot up shooters. Like that's their strength. They're not going to have that kind of space they had in the bull series. And I think those guys can get knocked out of their position you know a lot easier than a dynamic player like Middleton who can get around you and move the ball and cut in different ways. So I think that's a huge loss mm. and uh I think it levels this series where you know if you asked me prior I would have told you that um that it was the Bucks clear advantage in this series because of their their experience and their talent up front uh but without Middleton I'm I'm in like a real kind of throw my hands in the air sort of, uh, scenario. And I almost think the one reason I kind of give the bucks the advantage is this, I feel like it could be so close that whoever like really comes out here in game one and figures something out, you know, might win the entire thing because of it, because it's going to be so tight. And in that regard, I'm going to go ahead and give a little of, to bud and think that he's got something tricky up his sleeve as an experienced coach to get around in this first game before all the adjustments are made. And I think that might give them a huge advantage over like the whole series.
0: I think the one thing that gives them the advantage or Boston, the advantage, because I believe Boston will have home court in this series because they're the, uh, they're the two seed, right? Which is already going to make it an incredibly difficult thing for them. But the the, the one thing that I'm, I'm interested in, so it's going to be the battle of the old guys, Brook Lopez mm-hmm. versus Al-, Al Horford. Which it's like you think about that at first, be like, huh, that's not that interesting. But when Brooke is on the floor, Giannis has space to. And by the way, I don't nobody's talking about this, but Giannis's footwork. In the postseason, specifically Hmm. in a crowd uh, in like the dunker spot, this postseason has been incredible. His his ability to pivot, it's almost KG esque. Like, I know back in the day, he used to work with Hmm. KG a bunch, and the way like KG would like hesitate and use all that, it's almost like Giannis is doing that now. So, when you put Lopez on the floor, it it kind of uh, spaces things out a little bit. And then you got those four shooters. And if they can find their spots, and it's all going to have to kind of go through like your Grace Allens and Bobby Portis's with Chris Middleton out. That's going to be a very interesting thing. So when I kind of look at it, right, you're probably going to have... Jalen Brown on Bobby Portis. I think that's advantage Brown every time, especially defensively. And then uh, you're going to have, what's that, Robert Williams on Grayson Allen? I don't like that at all. So you kind of start to look at these (laughs) matchups, and you talked about the Celtics being the hottest defensive team in the league. I don't see how with the Bucs lineup that they can put out there that they're going to be able to uh, get by the Celtics. I know. I'm saying it.
1: I don't know. I'm starting to talk myself into the bucks (laughs) sitting here thinking I really am. And one of the reasons is like, you know, watching that that net series, if there was anywhere I found Boston vulnerable, it was in some of these touches that Claxton and Drummond were getting within like eight feet or Mm -hmm. cut into the hoop. And uh, Drummond and Claxton both happened to be exceptionally bad finishers. Like, bad, bad. Like, Drummond's got stone fucking hands. It's one of the reasons his plus minuses are so bad while he gets so many rebounds is, you know, he he blows a lot of entry passes, and Claxton just doesn't know how to finish and is just awful at the line. And that was who was getting those five minutes. And when you try to sell me on, you know, Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis, guys like that who are really, in Giannis, of course, who are exceptional finishers and have a touch and from either side and can get a little crafty in mid range, you know, I, I could see it really presenting some problems. I'm actually kind of
0: sitting here thinking, talking myself into the bucks. Why do we do this every year? I hate this. I start trying to protect my own emotions, objectively looking at the oh. bucks weaknesses compared to the other team's strength. Here's the difference
1: between <laughs> you and I, you see how much emotions on my face,
0: None. Oh. Oh, this Analytics. is this is crazy. Oh, no. Is oh my stoned. gosh. Oh. You can't, okay. No okay, stat I'm just I'm just focused on the game and the X and O's, you know. <laughs> okay, Kyrie. All right, so over the course of the next week, what are you looking at? What what are some of the things that you're going to be keeping an eye on? Well,
1: the one thing I would like to mention is I do think the Grizzlies are going to win this series. Mm. And this notion that the Warriors, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Wolves or Grizzlies, the Warriors are going to buzz some. I got a weird feeling that Grizzlies are going to give the Warriors a real hard time. And I think that's actually a series and it's going to be fun. I don't know if the Grizzlies can take it. But this idea that they're going to walk it over um, is, 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 I don't think it's real. I got a lot more faith in the Grizzlies and what they did this year and what they did last year to the warriors, which I think gives them a little confidence. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight. I do think the Sixers are going to take this series um, and this whole scare will be over fairly soon, but some things are starting to reveal themselves already, which I love, <laughs> which is Jay uh Embiid making passive aggressive comments about James Harden and the, Post game pressers about not taking enough shots and being aggressive enough, and well, that's for the coaches to talk about. It's already starting; the hardened deterioration in Philly is starting. Even though they're going to get through this series, I'm, I'm. If I have to deal with this Ben Simmons shit, like oh, at least I can deal and watch that across the river, you know. um And then the uh the other thing that's huge is is. Tonight, we're going to find out if the Suns can take game six in New Orleans. And uh, this is a big game because I don't think Devin Booker is back, but he's pretty close. And they're saying game six was possible, which I do believe means if they do have to come clinch a game seven in Phoenix, he'll play. But it also means if they can take this game six in New Orleans, Devin Booker has, you know, probably close to a week. of uh, of full rest before he has to start the next series, which is huge. So I think Phoenix has a lot of motivation to try and take this game tonight and not bring it to Game 7.
0: What I'm looking at for the next week is the Golden State Warriors. And I, I know what you said about the Minnesota-Memphis thing, but Benny, I think there's a thing, and we, we, we've we talked about this in, in a bunch of different areas of, of the game. There's a big difference between playoff experience and no playoff experience. And there's an even bigger difference between teams with championship pedigree and teams that have you know been consistently going to the Playoffs. The Warriors in the postseason are an entirely different animal. And it's almost like why a lot of these like like Wall Street places hire from like like Harvard and like Yale because these people are made to be stone cold fighting machines and then they can they have they have the tools created to kind of go out and kind of achieve the world do- dominance that they're seeking. That's how Golden State runs their operation. Ju- Jordan Pool wow. kind of fits right in. So like Memf- Wall Street. right? Memphis may Dearing have endearing <laughs> me to them. Memphis. Well, that's that. That's what they are. Uh, Memphis may have no fear, but it's going to take a whole lot more than no fear to take down this Warriors team.
1: Yeah, no, they do look like <laughs> a juggernaut right now. It's it's crazy to think that, uh, what, when, when did we really get introduced to this trio where we were like, oh, okay, this trio is going to be around for a while? 15? 14? Yeah. 15? You know, like that's the remarkable thing about this Warriors team is Seven that years. we're about to get to the second round of the playoffs. They have as good of a chance as anyone to work through. And we're still talking about the same big three. What fun is that? Yeah. You know, like how many teams can pull this off where, you know, you have this series of exciting players added to the same big three. Like it's 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 great. And I, uh, I kind of secretly pull for them again.
0: I always do. It's it's a hard team not to root for I was uh, looking this up the other day. All of the Grizzlies, like big-time players, they were teenagers the last time <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that Golden State made a run. And then in the corner of the locker room, you have Steven Adams, who is like, I know what it feels like to just get beaten the fuck up by yeah, these guys, and it's coming.
1: <laughs> that's rough what happened to Steve Adams in this series. Really strange. Here's my question. I'd yeah. love to see what the over-under is on if it's Grizzlies-Warriors game one. How quickly does Draymond pull two fouls on Jaron Jackson Jr.?
0: Oh, Jaron Jackson? That's your It's okay. gonna happen yeah. within
1: the first three minutes <laughs> to make a statement. Draymond's gonna be like, Oh, you're not playing in this series, kid. I'm gonna I'm gonna sneak my way around you and get you out of it. He, that's
0: gonna happen. I love it. I, I wasn't sure which uh which grizzly he, he was gonna go for because Desmond Baines talk talk some shit. So it's like one of those guys. He he's, he's just not gonna, gonna see
1: Bain too yeah. much, but but
0: Jaron Jackson Draymond is going to have a lot of
1: fun <laughs> with guys like Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark. Like, I, <laughs> I think that's, that's, um, those are some guys that he can pull like full on, you know, like old man
0: at the gym shit on,
1: yeah. like he's going to be <laughs> able to pull off.
0: All right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetunepodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. We are at the HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to follow the big man on Twitter, he is at Benny Horowitz1, one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. If you want to follow me, I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher as well. Benny, you got anything
1: else? Mm. Look beneath you, Denny. The world is connected. Ooh.
0: The show is ended going peace. You've been listening to the tune up.